I'll be reading from Romans 3, 19 through 24. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says that those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous, righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by the grace, by the grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Thank you, Preston. Appreciate the reading this morning. Um, get up. Yeah. Anybody ever celebrated? Really celebrated? Um, I thought about telling him to hold the slide, then I realized, no, I don't want him to hold the slide. I've mentioned this on the Thursday update, and I've been meaning to mention it in with all of you. But I want you to join me in celebrating. You probably already have through Facebook, been made aware of this, but uh, George and Kelly Lane are expecting a baby. And we want to congratulate George and Kelly for that. <laughs> Emma Ann Lane is due in July. July 22nd, I think everybody knows that means a C-section, so uh, on July the 22nd or something like that. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to that and we will celebrate with the lanes. Uh, I, am, I am impressed and I want to say to you, I am impressed with the faithfulness of so many of our young couples here and as they are moving through this stage in life of moving from uh, a young couple to being a family. And they're doing that faithfully. And I'm really thankful. And the lanes are one more example of that. And the whole church said. So you uh, maybe know exactly what scene this is. Not? Turn to Second Samuel chapter 6. Sorry, do that when you get home. Because we're going to be in Romans today. And I don't need you getting lost flipping back and forth. But in Second Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord comes into Jerusalem. David has set up a, a, a place for it to be, not the full temple that Solomon will build, but he wants it in his city with him, in, in his family, uh, because he's heard that the families that house the ark are blessed, and he, he, wants to, he goes out and gets it, and the text tells us that every time the, the priests who are carrying it along, they take six steps. He stops and off, offers a sacrifice. It's a bad day if you're a cow, because there are just lots of... Cows, it's a great day if you like barbecue because lots of food is going to be available. We're going to be feasting for a while. David was so, and, and it goes beyond the idea of planning, right? I was really blessed at my daughter's wedding. Uh, we set up a beautiful place for the kids to dance, but at some point it was time for the father of the bride to dance with the bride. And it was just this great moment and 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 blessing and get to speak blessings into her life and and just kind of stand and bask in the in the, the aura of this beautiful young lady stepping into this beautiful role in life it's a planned thing i don't think what david did was planned at all in fact we probably can say from the text it wasn't planned it was just his whole self you know that phrase, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might? David was giving everything he could 
The text says that he, he danced before the Lord with all his might. With all he was, he danced before the Lord because he couldn't help but celebrate the way in his culture he understood the idea of God being with him in a unique and kind of special way. I want you to stand with me. Would you please stand? I am not asking anybody to jump around. Just want to be sure and make that clear. I'm not asking anybody to get undressed. Somebody say? Amen. Amen. Yes. But have you ever celebrated before the Lord? Have you ever said, there is nothing that I have in my life that's greater than what God has given me? Have you ever said that in your mind? And has it ever caused you to say thank you to God? I would like you to give Jesus a big, huge, standing ovation this morning. Could you join with me in that? Yay, God! Woo! Oh, no, yeah, keep going. Yes, here, here, here. And the whole church said, man, you can be seated. Or you can stand for the rest of the sermon, whichever you choose to do. Unless there's somebody sitting behind you who you'd be in the way of. Then I stand over there. Very few people stand during my sermons. They're so inspired. Oh, Lord, you're doing great things. I just have a feeling that's your culture more than my poor preaching. But, you know, I, <laughs> something like that. Have you ever fully, recklessly, without reservation, celebrated God's good deeds? But we are... All. Look to your left and to your right and say, you, you. And look in front of you and behind you and say, you, you. We are all justified. By the way, sorry, we need to do one more thing. Anybody who wants to come to Christ who's out there, you can be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Did you hear the good news this morning, church? Thank you, Preston, for reading for us from just that kind of completely uncovered idea of the good news. I want to quickly bring you up to speed where our journey has carried us. By the way, one of the reasons you needed to stand and applaud, it was, it was a response to what my wife has been saying for several weeks now. Are we ever going to get to the good news? Because basically what we've been doing is saying, this group's condemned, this group's condemned, this is wrong, and this is wrong. All of it's broken. It's been a long four-week journey, hasn't it? <laughs> At least it has to my wife. So I just want to stack those pieces up for you. The righteousness of God has been revealed in the gospel in 1, 1 through 18. And then Paul goes on because that's where he's headed. He's going to reveal the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. But he has to set the contrast. In the same way that a, a painter has to basically fill an entire canvas with a contrast for what they're going to do, that we want to see, he contrasts what's going on with these brushstrokes. Four brushstrokes. First of all, the wrath of God against Gentile ignorance and ingratitude. The idea that you, you should know because the cosmos, everything in nature, points you towards a higher being. Your philosophers have agreed with that idea, and yet you ignore it and you choose not to give thanks to God. You not only choose not to give thanks to God in your words and your worship, but... The way you live is ignorance and ingratitude. And all the 
Jews, Jewish Christians would have said, Amen. But he doesn't stop there. In 2, 1 through 16, the wrath of God against Jewish moral judgmentalism is as much a part of the brokenness as the Gentile ignorance and ingratitude. The idea that the Jew can stand somehow with the law over here on their side and point fingers and say, this is what's wrong with you, is a brokenness that is just as much a part of the sin as the ingratitude and the ignorance is because they would never be able to fulfill all that they wag their fingers at Gentiles for doing. Third, second, the wrath of God in 2, 1 through 16, the wrath of God against Jewish, sorry, that's where I was. Third, the wrath of God for Jewish self-righteousness. The idea that because I am a descendant of Abraham and because I practice these traditions of Sabbath and Passover and circumcision and eating kosher, somehow or another I stand self-righteously. God can't help himself. He has to do for me whatever I ask him to do. Because I am righteous because of my own accomplishments in the law. And Paul says you can never, you can never fulfill those accomplishments. That righteousness by self can't be accomplished. And finally, in a section that you can read when you get home, it's a difficult section to read. It comes right before what Preston read. He summarizes basically everything that's gone before in 3, 9 through 18 and says, we are all. He quotes the psalmist over and over again. He quotes Isaiah and says, we are all trapped in sin before God in and of ourselves. In and of ourselves, we are trapped before God. I want to pick up with a couple of verses that closed out Preston's reading and continue on through the end of three. Won't you join me in that reading again? I encourage you, if you're at home, have your Bibles open. If you're here, please have your Bibles open. There will be things I say that you'll want to find in the text, and I'll try to point you that way, but you're being there in the text. Whether it's on your phone or a physical Bible, I'd appreciate you turning there. Second half of 22, there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Can you, can you read those words in your head and not go, whoo? My uncle couldn't have. He was a woof guy. He didn't say amen. He was a woof guy. I'll let you do. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You didn't have to woo. You can do your thing, you know, whatever it is. God presented Christ, and you may have a different translation here. Propitiation is the, one of the ways that it's talked about. Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Just very quickly, you need to understand a little bit about that idea. It's a big word that's there. And Paul leverages it from uh, the, the Greek language and says this is the way that this is talked about when they wrote the Old Testament in Greek, they used this word for the idea of atonement. And it was a, a, a powerful part of, who, of what the Jews were about. As much as Passover defined who they were, here is what God did for me, atonement gave them the opportunity to continue forward. Several traditions that took place, not the least of which was the sacrificing of a lamb, whose blood was then taken into, this one time a year, taken into not only the temple, 
not only the Holy of Holies, not only the holy place, but the Holy of Holies behind the curtain, and that blood would be put on the ark itself, be sprinkled on the ark. It was basically saying, God, take this sacrifice, this blood sacrifice, as a substitution for our own blood, for our own sins. You can follow that all the way back to Genesis 15, where Abraham is promised uh, the, the land and the people and the blessing. And, and as part of that promise, God causes a sleep to come over him. And uh, before he puts him to sleep, he has him cut up animals in half. And he creates this blood trail. And his, the implication is that he's going to have to walk through the blood trail, but he doesn't. God puts him into a sleep, and God appears in a smoking firepot, and God walks through the blood trail for Abraham, saying, I will take the cost. Then for many generations, when Moses wrote the law and gave them instructions about how you celebrate the Day of Atonement, the idea that, that my sins can be transferred to this animal and that that animal can be sacrificed and its blood goes on the, the, on the ark, on the mercy seat, on the seat of God, actually the footstool of God that is made as the wings of the angel on top of the covenant come together and say, God, we need you to take this instead of our own blood. In the same way God walked through for Abraham, God takes that blood and says, you were atoned. Your sins are atoned for. They are paid for. They are set in a scale and balanced. They are made, they are made where they were as if they were not. They are bought with the blood of a lamb. You can see how that image points towards Jesus who will ultimately be the one. And that is what Paul is saying here. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He didn't bring his final, his final judgment on the brokenness of the world and people until he could send Jesus to do something about that judgment. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be in his righteous self to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith, who have expressed their faith, who have the faith. And we here we have a translation problem sometimes because oftentimes it's translated as it is here. Faith in Christ is if I'm putting my, my life in Christ's hands. But the, the other translation, which may be much more accurate, is the idea of the faith of Christ. We trust God the way Jesus trusted God. Very much a powerful part of the symbol of baptism is not that just I have faith in what Christ accomplished in the cross and the resurrection, but I want to be like Jesus who said, my life is not my own, God, I give it to you. And God did not raise him up until he was buried in the grave, and then he raised him up, the faith of Christ. Verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law is it excluded? Where, does it, where is it written? Where does it say that? The law that requires works? No, because, no, it is because of the law that requires faith. 
Now, Paul's working real hard on some wordplay here. He said, you have held up, you Jews have held up this idea of the law of Moses, the law of your traditions, those rules that you've said here in encapsulate all that it is to be a person of God. And Paul takes that idea of instruction, that idea of word, and says there is a word and an instruction that is of faith. And he will go on to make the point that the law of Moses... Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the prophets, the whole Bible, will point towards not this law that I can accomplish things by my own works, but this law that if I put my faith in God, my full trust in God, the same way Jesus put his full faith and trust in God, that I can find God's justification and become part of his made right people. No, it is because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified not by keeping the law, not by being a person who says, I know who Abraham and I follow all the traditions of my people, but justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Finally, verse 29, Or is God the God of Jews only? He is, is he not? the God of Gentiles too. And can we join with Paul in saying, yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Again, you need to read these words in the context of what's going on in Rome. The idea that the Jewish Christians were sent out in 49 and they were brought back. And that there is a division in the church because of this transition. That the Gentiles were, were in some way saying, we are the better folks. We are the ones who are in charge and you need to come to us. And the Jews were taking a condemning position of saying, you don't follow the traditions. You're not really God's people. You just want to do whatever you want to do and call it God's stuff and, and say you're faithful. There was this argument that was going on, and if we can't see that argument, and by the way, could you hear it over and over again? It's not enough to simply say that we are all saved, we are all justified, but it's that Jews and Gentiles are justified, that those who are circumcised are of the circumcised people, and the uncircumcised are all justified by faith. You heard it several times in this section, and I want to very quickly, as best I can, talk a little bit about what it means to be justified. First of all, it is to be released from the bondage and brokenness of sin. And in a very powerful way, that is to be raised like Jesus. Amen? Our sin is a brokenness that brings death. And what happened to Jesus on that day that he was resurrected is God reached down and brought him out of death and brought him into life, a new glorified life. And you and I, when we are justified, are also released from the bondage and the brokenness of sin. Somebody says, Amen. You might argue, and by the way, I'm not going to argue with you because I'll preach it the, the way you want it preached if, if you want me to do it that way because I can't ever tell whether the release from bondage and brokenness is first or the idea, the second idea, which is that we, if we are justified, we are made right. We are made righteous like God. 
Now, I want to be sure and say this is not a statement that says we are God. That would be blasphemy, amen? But that what God creates in us, that making us right, sets us in relationship with God, not in the sense of somehow or another we are, are not worthy to be there, because God has made us worthy to be righteous with Him. Amen? You need to hear this very, very specifically. God has given you in your justification everything that you will ever be as far as righteousness before Him. Your life on the outside may be transformed. And, and it is my prayer that until the day I die, the Spirit is transforming me into something more than I am. Amen? But the reality of where I stand with God, I am made right through the blood of Jesus. And I stand, stood that way, goodness gracious, 33 years ago. When I came up out of the waters of baptism, I stand that way today. And someday, I'm going to stand face to face with God, and that is what I am. Made right. Third, to be justified is to be made part of God's family. You need to hear this. Abraham, we're going to hear more about Abraham next week, so I don't want to blow that horn too hard yet. But we have been made like Abraham and all of Israel part of God's family. He justifies us. He says, I want you included. There's going to be a lot of language in chapters 9, 10, and 11 are going to point to this idea that you and I are made part of the family. We are Israel, not because our genetics take us from Abraham, but because our faith brings us to that place. And most importantly, because God chooses through the sacrifice of Christ, through the blood of Christ, to make us part of that. We continue with a couple of objections in the courtroom. Are we better off in verse three, in verse 9 of chapter 3? Are we better off? And these are probably the Jews saying that, but I would also say to a certain extent the Gentiles are saying it as if they stood in a better place than the Jews. Are we better off? And the answer is, of course, not unless you are justified by faith. Even the Gentiles who make a proclamation that they want to be part of God's movement, that they want to be part of this new Christian movement, that they want to know who Jesus is, if their life is not tuned in to a faith in Christ and a faith like Christ's, then they don't have any advantage either. I want to say this, it will come up again. The waters of baptism do not make you right with God. It is the faith in the blood of Christ which you encounter in the waters of baptism that make you right with Christ. If all you've done is get wet, you, are, you can't stand around and say, look at me, look at me, look what I've done. Because ultimately, it is about submitting faithfully. And by the way, submitting in a faith like Christ's. 327 adds a second objection. What about boasting? And you need to hear in that an echo from the Roman church. The Jews standing up, but we are the people of the law. We have the writings of God. And when they say that, it's not a small thing. They're not just talking about traditional interpretation 
and following traditional uh, habits, again, Sabbath, circumcision, eating kosher. They are talking about the fact that the Bible that the New Testament church at that time is primarily reading is the Old Testament. It is the law, the prophets, and the Psalms that they are reading. And they say, we are the ones who have the writings of God. As he said a little earlier in chapter 3, we are the ones who have the very words of God. The Gentiles, on the other hand, stand in this boasting place. You hear it in Galatians. We are free in Christ. We can do whatever we want because we are free in Christ. We don't need any of your law. We don't need any of your instructions. We are free in Christ. You also will hear that a lot in 1 Corinthians where it is most taken advantage of. And Paul's answer is neither. Whenever we talk about our salvation, whenever we talk about being right with God, whenever we talk about our justification, it must never be a boast, but only by the grace of God. Amen? It must almost always be a humble proclamation of where God has brought us, not what we have attained. Where is boasting? Nobody can boast. So I want to reflect just for a minute of what it means to live justified. I realize my audience is people who have stepped into the waters of baptism, who have participated in that death, burial, and resurrection. You are people who have chosen to be here today because you want to hear more about God, you want to know more about Christ, and you have dedicated your lives to following. I want to reflect in this way of what it is for us to live in the justification that has been freely given to us by God through faith in Jesus Christ. What is living justified? First of all, I want to ask you to recognize that God can accomplish recreation in everyone and can even accomplish recreation in me. The language here, and some of the translations will have it, is, is the idea that it's not just made, made righteous, but declared righteous. God speaks it over us. Because of what Jesus did and because we choose to trust like Jesus and trust in Jesus, God speaks over us our righteousness. You say, well, wait a minute, what's the big deal about speaking over us? Do you remember the first page of the Bible? Genesis chapter 1. There was this great chaos and darkness and God said, here's say, said, let there be light. And because God spoke it, he declared it over the chaos, suddenly light existed. God declared that the waters would no longer be in charge and they'll be separated and they'll have boundaries. And because God declared it, they did it. I can keep going down the days of creation, but I also want you to hear Jesus' ministry. Where men who were completely out of control came and fell at his feet. Or he encountered them. Men who were so powerful that they could break chains off themselves. No rope could hold them. And Jesus would speak, leave. He didn't touch them. He didn't have to do an incantation. He just said, leave. And it left. See, when God declares something over you, his, this is more than just 
like you and I saying something. I can stand out there by my Ford Fusion and declare, you will be a Corvette. And without about $120,000, that's not going to happen. But when God declares you righteousness, something new is created. Amen? Not because you earned it. Not because you're good enough. But because God wants to give it. And he wants to give it to everyone. I don't know who you hold in your heart, that grudge that says, they've just hurt me too bad. They're just, and maybe it didn't hurt you, but they have hurt the world too bad, right? Sometimes we get into politics this way. This politician has hurt the world too bad, or that politician has hurt the world too bad. And we hold this angst. God says, no. If they turn to me in faith, the blood of Jesus can cover them too. Amen? But maybe more importantly, we need to recognize that whatever it is that we think that is so dark and so deep and so dangerous inside ourselves, God said, I can make it right. Now, he never says, and I'm just going to leave you there in your brokenness, he wants to bring wholeness and peace out of that. Amen? But he can do it. Defining the difference, number two, defining the difference between rejecting law and living by faith. This is a key element. and We've already run into it in chapter 2 a little bit. The idea that a, a Gentile would live, even though he doesn't know the law, he would live in response to what he recognized as a God, as the creator of the universe, and what he recognized as human beings not being something that we take advantage and lord it over, but instead we love and care for. So apparently it's about doing the right things. And over and over, Paul will point out, and here is one of those key places. Is it, are, can we boast because we keep the law, or is there a, a law of doing right that we can keep and somehow know it is a law of faith? It will always be a law of faith, and the law of faith will always cause us to want to live in response to what God has given us. Amen? If we live in accordance with God's wisdom, if we conform our lives to the things that, that God instructed in the Old Testament and that seem to be reflected in the life that Jesus lived, we will find ourselves living in a, in a blessing that is not of ourselves. Amen? Because we're not accomplishing our righteousness through it. We are simply saying, God... Thank you. And I want my life to reflect your goodness so that others can see it and know who you are. There's such an incredible difference between the idea of rejecting the law and saying, I don't have to follow anybody's rules, and saying, I want to live by faith that says, I want to know who Christ is. I want to know who God is, and I want my life to reflect those characteristics. Amen? If God is true, I want to be true. If God is faithful, I want to be faithful. Big one, if God is love, I want when people look at me, they want, they see his love manifested towards them and towards others. I don't always live up to that. I confess that. Third, to live justified, we celebrate freedom, family, and transformation those are ours, amen? But we celebrate that always 
with great humility and gratitude. It can never be, and I've said this before today, it can never be, look what I've done. But may it always be, thank you, God, for what you are accomplishing in me. I want to invite you to a redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's unlike any other redemption. You can go find your Buddhist Zen over there and you can say, my life is in balance and I am where I need to be. You can go follow the law of the Muslim and the Islamic law and say, I will be right because I do all my prayers at exactly the right time. I can look towards the redemption of the Jew and say, I don't eat the wrong things. I circumcise my sons on the eighth day and I always observe Passover, Sabbath, Day of Atonement, all of the holidays. None of those. None of those are the same. Because the redemption we have in Jesus Christ is not about something we do. It is always about something He has done in the past, is doing today, and will continue to do until His new creation. Amen and amen. I invite you to... If today is the day that you need to say, I want to be a part of that, I am ready to start that conversation. Many people are here ready to start that conversation with you. We don't always know where that conversation is going to lead for every individual, but it is always our prayer that it will lead to faith in what Jesus did and the grace that God has given. And someday, it is our prayer that it will lead to the waters of baptism. Amen? If you want to respond, you can do so through the text, 979-217-3300. For those of you who are on YouTube, if you're here in person, we would be glad to pray with you today and start that conversation. Won't you come as we stand and as we sing? We are the